0: Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Piringer. Well, tonight uh, we're going to continue in the Apostles' Creed, and I know you're used to having a, 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 a verse sheet, and there is one there. But if you have your Bibles, you can actually turn to Isaiah 52, because I'm going to read one whole passage here um, in just a little bit. As we talk about what Christ uh, has done, we continue to talk about what Christ has done. We've talked about his person. We've talked about his life a little bit, the importance of the virgin birth. And I want to talk a little bit about his death, burial, and resurrection tonight, uh, the substitutionary atonement, along with that. Now, to give kind of a a crude illustration about uh, the substitutionary atonement, um, let's say that you're driving home one night going 105 miles per hour. For some of you, that might not be a stretch, I don't know. But all of a sudden, a police officer pulls you over and arrests you and impounds your car and then brings you to the courthouse to face the judge. And your dad happens to be judge in that county. So you think, oh, well, my dad's a judge. I I might get off scot-free or something like that. However, you also know your dad is a just judge. He punishes the guilty when, when they're guilty and he never punishes the innocent. Uh, he's just a good, just judge, and so you're brought before the judge, your dad, and uh, the case is laid before him, and uh, the facts are there, and so because he is a good, just judge, he finds you guilty, and he sentences you to $500 or one week in jail. Well, you don't have $500, so the bailiff is going drag to you, drag you out of the courthouse and put you in jail for a week, but your dad, the judge, says, hold on one minute. And he steps down off of his bench, takes off his robes, goes over to the clerk, and he writes out a check for $500. So the judge who sentenced you is also the one who paid the penalty. The judge who sentenced you is the one who took the punishment upon himself, so to speak. That's a very rough illustration of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, you could say, is the judge who took care of our punishment And this is the great act of Christ who died, was buried, and rose again. He is our substitute. He took care of the punishment for us. And so this is stated in the Apostles' Creed as it highlights the important aspects of Christ's life and ministry and person. And so let's read part of the Apostles' Creed here. And uh, it begins, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ his only begotten son our lord who was conceived by the holy spirit born of the virgin mary suffered under pontius pilate was crucified dead and buried he descended into hell and the third day he rose again from the dead so that the particular section i want to highlight tonight says that jesus suffered under pontius pilate and it, it says this to give historical context to what jesus did these events that we're talking about, these aren't just some myth of a pagan religion. These are historical events that happened at specific times within history. They, they actually happened. You know, Buddha, the Buddhists have a whole lot of stuff that they say that Buddha did, and the Hindus have a whole lot that say what the Hindu gods did, Shiva or whoever, But these are actually, but they're, they're, those are myths. They didn't actually happen. The, this happened. Jesus was a historical person who did things within history. And so he suffered under Pontius Pilate to give a historical context to his crucifixion, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. All of that to be our substitute. All of that to take our punishment. Now, one of the central passages of scripture that, kind of just lays everything out for us actually as a prophecy from the Old Testament that centralizes what it is that Jesus did as our substitute in his crucifixion, burial, death, burial, and resurrection. It highlights the important portions of the creed. And so Isaiah 52.13 to Isaiah 53.12 is... the passage about the suffering servant. Now, you have to remember that that chapter and verse numbers are not have not been inspired by the Holy Spirit. So Isaiah 53 should have started where Isaiah 52, 13 is, but it didn't, so it happens. But this is one whole passage about the suffering servant, so listen to what it says. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance in his form, beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told, not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the, ch- the chastisement that brought us peace, was, and, and with his wounds we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. He bore the sin of many. He makes intercession for the transgressors. That's our Lord. And so the passage describes the suffering servant. It prophesies... The death, burial, and resurrection of this servant in a prophecy that was given roughly 800 years before it actually happened. It begins with a triumph, triumph, I mean the triumphant fact that at the end of everything that's going to happen, the servant is going to be lifted high and exalted. But then the rest of the passage talks about the long road that it's going to take to get there. Verse 52, 14 describes the unspeakable cruelty that would happen to him in his suffering. At the hands of humanity. Now, if, if you read um, Old Testament prophecies, say in Isaiah and, and others, that talk about what's going to happen to Israel, what's going to happen to the southern kingdom of Judah, a lot of the prophecy describes that there is going to be such utter devastation that the nations around them are going to just be astonished at the destruction that is going to happen. I mean, it describes that even wicked pagans are going to shudder and be repulsed at what God does to his own people there in the land. And the same type of description is given here. This servant is going to be so brutally treated. He's going to be so maliciously tormented. He's going to be mutilated and mashed. He's not even going to look human. And people are going to be astonished, turned away, I mean, be repulsed at what happens there and yet in fifty-two fifteen, that brutal treatment of the servant is going to be for a sprinkling of the nations the sprinkling is is the cleansing they would sprinkle blood on things to cleanse and purify things his brutal treatment would be for the cleansing of the nations the cleansing of people within the nations the servant would allow himself to be treated In such a way, I mean, yeah, people are going to be completely dumbstruck by what happens. And now, you know, later it also talks about the fact that the the whole idea of the substitutionary atonement, that, that the servant would go through all that for other people, that goes against every natural human thinking. Every natural human tendency. So that means, yeah, only God could have thought up such a plan. Only God could have done this. But because it is just so mind-boggling to humanity, that's why, according to 53.1, the people are not going to believe the message about the servant. Even though God's power would be evident in everything that the servant did and everything that would happen to the servant the message of what that servant did and what that servant accomplished would still be rejected by most people who are confronted with the person of this servant. In fact, in John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 37 to 38, uh, that verse, 53.1, is quoted as being fulfilled in the days of Jesus because here they are confronted with the servant. Here they are confronted with with the Messiah, and it says that they did not believe in him despite all of the signs and wonders that he did in their presence. Unfortunately, not much has changed 2,000 years later. People are confronted with the glories of Christ. And they're like, eh, I don't think so. Now, the, the problem that the Jews had is described in three two. Because Jesus, the servant, was born under humble means. He grew up before them humbly and quietly. He did, there was no fanfare that most everybody saw with his birth. Now, you know, shepherds saw some fanfare with the angels, but nobody else did. And, and from what they saw, Jesus just grew up like a normal Jewish kid. And so when, when the Jews would look at Jesus, okay, here's this kid born in, in a manger. I mean, he's surrounded by animals when he's born. He comes from a family that has no political power. He grows up in this no-name town. He remains unknown to the outside world until he began his ministry in his 30s, and then for three and a half years or so of ministry, he just wandered around. He had no place to call his own. You know, He describes it as he has no, no bed on which to lay his head. And how did Jesus sustain himself in his ministry? He had to rely on the kindness of others to sustain him and his disciples during his ministry. They weren't out there making money. And so, from a, again, a human perspective, that wouldn't have caused anyone to really pay attention to Jesus until he started pushing against the system, until he started pushing their buttons around their commonly held beliefs and what we know to be misunderstandings of the law. He challenged the wrong people during his earthly ministry. So according to 53, chapter 53, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, not only because of his humble beginnings, but also because of what he started to do. And he was despised and rejected. That's as much true about his life as it was about his death. Jesus would be rejected more than he would be accepted. And then, when his time came for his final sorrow, we know it to be his crucifixion, death, burial, it says that people hid their face from him. People turned their back on him. And that included his friends. That included his own followers. Followers. And yet, when his ultimate rejection came, you know, the Jews, his people, calling for his death, crucify him, crucify him. That death was the means to bear our griefs and sorrows, according to 53.4. In fact, again, as it's described in 53.4, most people of his day thought that he was cursed of God. Because, I mean, God would not allow one of his own prophets, one of his own people, and if he was the Messiah, God would not allow the Messiah to go through all this garbage. He's cursed of God. He's not blessed of God. And in a sense, yeah, he was cursed of God. But he did it for us. He became a curse for us. He was our substitute, because according to 53.5, he was pierced for our transgressions. Not his own, because he didn't have any of his own. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. His suffering had nothing to do with him. It had nothing to do with what he deserved. It had to do with us and what we deserved. If justice were to be served so that we could be at peace with God, it had to be put on him. If there was going to be a source of peace for us, the servant had to take our transgressions upon himself. And so the wounds that he suffered and the death that he died by those, we are healed spiritually. By those, we are made whole. Now, I know you know a lot of the, the health and wealth folk will, will, will point to this scripture and say, yes, you can be healed of all your disease because by his wounds you are healed. That's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. I mean, here, let me, let me give you a gold medal for the gymnastics you just did with that verse. That's not what it means. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It has to do with sin. And we are healed from that sin. And so because of that, we have peace and healing from God if you believe and trust in him and this is something everyone has to do because according to 53 6 everyone has gone astray from God everyone has turned and done their own thing everyone has done their own thing they've gone their own way they're they're just living living their life in rebellion to God and yet God laid on him the iniquity of us all the servant was the perfect sacrifice to to which all the other sacrifices that the Jews had to do, that they all pointed to Christ. But unlike them, this sacrifice was final. Never needed to be repeated again. And so obviously, this suffering from the, of the servant, it included a lot of injustices. According to 53.7, he was oppressed and afflicted. And 53.8 says that by oppression and judgment, He was taken away. It's it's referring to a miscarriage of justice. Because the courts that he went in front of, they were kangaroo courts. They they weren't looking for truth. Even Pilate himself said, eh, what what is truth? Eh." You know, they didn't care about truth. In front of the Jews, in front of the Romans, the whole thing was prejudice. And the greatest miscarriage of justice in all of history happened right there. And then according to verse 8, After it all happened, he was neglected. No one from his generation considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of the people, including those who had a hand in his death. And according to 53.9, even though he died like a common criminal, and they were preparing to just bury him in a mass grave with all the rest of the criminals, yet he was buried in the tomb of a rich man. You know, as much as he was mistreated, God still took care of him. And as much as he was mistreated, he, he was completely innocent in all his ways. He, even when he was wronged, according to 53.7, he didn't open up his mouth in protest. Even when he was treated as a criminal, it's testified in 53.9, he did no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth, and yet he was treated like this. And, and What's so interesting is that even though it was at the hand of man that this happened, according to 53.10, it was God who orchestrated it all. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Lord to put him to grief. It was the will of the Lord to make him a guilt offering. But it says, even though the Lord was going to put him through that, through the hands of man, there would be victory and success in what he did. Because his sacrifice would bring children to God, it would bring people to God. And not only that, he would be raised from the dead and his days would be prolonged for eternity. And through him, the will of the Lord would prosper in his hand. He accomplished God's purpose. By being made an offering for sin, and according to 53.11, he justified many, making them righteous in the eyes of God, because, according to 53.12, he bore the sin of the many, and he ever lives to make intercession for all of us, all of us transgressors. And so the servant would receive his rewards. According to 53.10, he would receive a people unto himself. According to 53.11, he would see the results of his labor and be satisfied with what he accomplished. According to 53.12, he was given great honor, as God said. He would divide with him a portion of the many, divide the spoil with the strong. He would be known as the mightiest of men because he is the God-man. And all of that is contained in the wonderful proclamation found in the creed, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and he rose again the third day. But then in the middle of the Apostles' Creed, again, remember we have an English translation of the Apostles' Creed, there's this little quip about descending to hell. And we're all like, what in the world is that? Well, there's a lot of different theories about what that refers to. But I will, I'll give you my thoughts and I'll let you do a little research on your own to see the different things. Because remember, this is an English translation of the creed as it was found. The creed was found, you know, a few centuries after Christ but you know it's been handed down it's been added to and a little bit here and there and then translated so here's my my theory of what happened when, when you look in the Old Testament depending on the translation that you, use, that you use there is this word that is used that's called Sheol you've probably heard the term Sheol before now depending on the context Sheol refers to merely the grave or it might refer to what we might call the abode of the dead just kind of a generalized term of where dead people go after they die and there's no commitment to whether it's good or it's bad You know, there's no implication of heaven or hell at all in that word it's just that People die and then they have an existence after their death. We we might translate it as afterlife. You know, there's no commitment there. It's just afterlife. So here's what happened. The King James Version, every time it saw the word Sheol, translated it as hell. But I believe that it's wrong to do so because one, it sometimes refers just to the grave, but two, when you read that, it, it, it sometimes says that people like David are going to be going to Sheol or in Sheol or, you know, things like that. There was an expectation that David would be in Sheol. And I, I don't think anyone would say that David went to hell. The hell as we conceive it. You know, our idea of hell. But the Apostles' Creed seemed to pick up that terminology so what I believe the creed is, is doing here, I think that it's merely saying that Jesus actually died. He didn't swoon. He didn't pass out. He actually died, and his, being fully human, his soul went to the abode of the dead in general. No statement of what happened. Because here's the thing. you you got these health and wealth people that say that after Jesus died, he had to go down to hell. And, you know, he he had to, really, I think Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Myers and others, they really say this, that he had to suffer in hell for three days. No, because that's not in the Bible, first off. And second off, what did Jesus say right before he died on the cross? It is finished. But the thing is, he there was no payment to make to, to the devil. The devil... Our sin, we don't owe anything to the devil. We owe it to God, and He made the payment to God on the cross. Now, you know that now the Bible uses the terminology that that Jesus snatched the keys of, of the grave and death and hell, you know, from the devil. So you know, if if Jesus did go to hell, it was to punch Satan in the face and take the keys. But you know that. that I don't think that, that literally happened. I think, you know, again, that's metaphor. And Although I do kind of like the picture of seeing Jesus just go, and Satan's laid out. But if you're a wrestling fan, he did a suplex. And, no, I don't know. But it, it's just talking about the fact that Jesus died. He died. He really died. It wasn't, it wasn't fake. It was, it was real. And then he was resurrected. And so that statement of faith in the creed has everything to do with our salvation. And, you know, if anyone says there's salvation in any other way, you do not understand. You, You do not understand what Jesus accomplished. I mean, you're a liar, you're a false teacher. If you've believed in Christ and you believe this, I mean, praise God. But if you have not believed, I mean, you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today. And so we need to get uh, to some time of prayer Um, but pray for those who who don't know and who don't pray for those who are caught on under the teachings of those false teachers that say all sorts of goofy stuff I mean yeah okay I I mean I may have said goofy thing about Jesus punching Satan in the face and things like that Uh, but I mean it's oh no, Jesus had to suffer under the devil. No, our sin was against God. He's the propitiation. He is the satisfaction of the wrath of God. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltre Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening. And God bless.